Welcome to Angels and Searstones, special Halloween fireside edition. I'm Christine. And I'm Chris. Tonight, in traditional Halloween fashion, we're going to share a few spooky stories. You'll hear about a Latter-day Saint's regret for dabbling with an Ouija board, a missionary who spent the night in a haunted castle, and a mission president who performed an exorcism and would later have to face the demon yet again. Plus, We'll share a story of a haunting from when the saints first arrived in Nauvoo, Illinois. Latter-day Saints are a people of radical faith. We are a unique body of Bible-believing Christians. For us, the scriptural canon has been opened. The traditional sacraments have expanded. Our beliefs and practices are steeped in universalism, esotericism, and apocalypticism. The Latter-day Saint tradition is a religion in which angels visit everyday people, and sometimes men and women see the divine in stones. In this podcast, we examine lived religion of Latter-day Saints, the stories we tell, and the beliefs we debate. We take seriously the whole gambit of Latter-day Saint experience. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Angels and Seer Stories. This week, we aren't going to offer a lot of commentary. Instead, we are going to tell stories. And instead of using narrators like we usually do, we're going to tell these stories ourselves. Christine, you start. Ouija boards became popular in the 1970s. Many think in step with the release of the movie The Exorcist. Like many Christian communities at the time, Latter-day Saints began sharing stories that primarily functioned as a way to warn kids of the occult. We'll have a full episode on Ouija boards soon, but tonight, I'd like to share a story of how the Ouija board led to one young man's lasting testimony of the restored gospel. So, in ninth grade, I had a seminary teacher who told us a story about him and his friends playing with a Ouija board when they were teenagers. One of his friends brought a board without any of their parents knowing, and they went up to the attic to use it. He said after he and his friends started moving the pointer around, an invisible force picked up one of his friends, dragged him up against the wall, and pinned him to the wall above the ground. He and his friends were all screaming, and my seminary teacher's dad, a priesthood holder, ran into the room and yelled, What's going on in here? The invisible force dropped the friend. And from that day forward, the seminary teacher said he knew the church was true because he had a testimony of Satan. Okay, Chris, your turn. Missions are a time of adventure and bravery. We do things we would never do in ordinary life. Knocking strangers' doors, preaching in town squares, meeting kind and sometimes nasty people. Now imagine we were a missionary in the 19th century, preaching without purse or script. That is depending on the kindness of others for sustenance and shelter. In this story, collected by William A. Wilson, a 19th century missionary, spends the night in a haunted castle and finds himself the guest at a sinister dinner party. Charles D. Evans was our second bishop and later state patriarch in Payson. He was a real spiritual giant. He went on a mission into Germany and had become weary after tracting all day. After walking a long time through heavily wooded country, he came to a caretaker's cottage near an old castle. He stopped and asked for a place to stay the night. The caretaker explained that he had a very large family and just didn't have the room. Charles D. Evans asked if they had the keys to the castle and could he stay there. They had the keys, they told him, but ever since a murder had been committed there during a party, 
the place was haunted. They strongly recommended that Elder Evans not stay there, but that didn't bother him. He went in and discovered that the place was sumptuously decorated with rich hangings, chandeliers, and had several bedrooms on one floor. He knelt down to say his prayers and then climbed into bed and went to sleep. Along in the middle of the night, he saw the hall below lighted up and heard chains dragging up the hall. After a while, a servant in chains appeared and invited him to dinner in the banquet hall. Evans declined, but the servant returned twice more to demand and then command him to appear. When he got dressed and went down, the hall was full of carousing merrymakers, drinking and laughing. <laughs> the master invited him to dinner. Then Evans knew that this must be the recreated scene of the party the night the murder was committed. He commanded them to depart in the name of Jesus Christ and they faded away. Then he went back up and went to sleep. As all of our listeners know, missionaries are often aware of the spiritual battles being waged in the unseen world. In this story, collected by a student at BYU in the 1960s, a mission president stands up to the force of evil, only to find that these forces are more resilient than he expected. The president of the Brazilian mission had been asked to anoint the wife of one of the branch presidents in the city of Rio de Janeiro. The woman, her name was not given, had been sick for several months and had not responded to any previous medical care. She was thought to be going insane. She was constantly alternating between periods of relative calm, insanity, and periods of crazed fits of insanity. She had been placed in a hospital and was under constant guard for fear that she would, in one of her uncontrollable fits, kill, kill either herself or anyone in her way. As a last resort, her husband contacted President at the mission home, which was about 300 miles away in Sao Paulo. Upon arrival, President immediately went to the sick woman's bedside. She was small, thin, and very pale. Her bone structure could easily be seen due to the lack of food and the length of her strength, stealing sickness. As President entered the room, the woman was in one of her fits. Her entire body shook and her muscles convulsed and caused her to wiggle and squirm and squeal and moan and laugh and cry and lose total control of her senses and bodily functions. From that very moment he entered the room, the president could feel the presence of an evil spirit and knew it had entered the woman's body and had taken full control over it. The president quickly walked over to the bed and placed his hands on her head and commenced to cast out the spirit. After five or six minutes of prayer, the evil spirit began to weaken and leave the body. Before it left, however, it spoke to the president using both the mouth and the voice of the inflicted woman. Because you are casting me out of my body, I will become a constant threat to you and your body. I swear by all that is unholy that I shall take over your body and drive you to self-destruction before the week is out. The spirit then left the body and departed. The woman was immediately healed and was released from the hospital. President remained unruffled by this experience and returned to the mission home in Sao Paulo that same day. It was late when he finally reached the mission home and he was very tired. However, the instant he set foot on the porch, he felt the presence of that same evil spirit just behind him. He opened the door and was struck over his knees by an unseen blow to his head. 
He felt blow after blow being delivered to his body, but was unable to see his assailant. He knew that it was the spirit attacking him. The mission home staff heard the scuffle at the front door and came to the president's aid. Together, three elders and two sisters cast the spirit out of the mission home and caused it to never return and bother the president again. It never came back. The story I'm going to share is from Philo Dibble. We already talked about a haunted castle. This is a haunting story too, but it's a little unusual. It's about a house that was already built when the saints arrived in Nauvoo. In fact, a house that's very nature would kill its residents. I then rented a house of Hiram Kimball on the riverbank for $10 per month and kept a warehouse and also borders in a bakery. While there in business, I saw and visioned my grave before me for two weeks. It mattered not whether my eyes were open or shut, it was there, and I saw no way of escape. One day Brother Joseph came and took dinner with us, and as we arose from the table, I walked out upon the porch and sat down on a bench. Joseph and my wife followed me, and he came before me and said, Philo, you must get away from here or you will die, as sure as God ever spoke by my mouth. He then turned to my wife and said, and you will hardly escape by the skin of your teeth. I immediately stepped into Joseph's carriage and rode with him to the south part of town and rented another place, after which I settled up my business as fast as I could and made arrangements to remove. Many hearing of Joseph's prediction about me said if they had been in my place, that they would have remained where I was and tested the truth of it. But I assured them if they had been in my place, they would have done just as I did. After I had settled my business and removed my family, we were one day at Joseph's house when he said to my wife, you didn't believe what I told Philo the other day. Now I will tell you what the Lord told me. He told me to go and tell Philo to come away from there. And if he obeyed, he should live. If not, he should die. And I didn't want to see you a widow so soon again. If Philo had remained there 14 days longer, he should have been a corpse. That's all we have for you this evening. We hope you had a happy Halloween and that you'll continue to join us here on Angels and Seerstones. We'll see you next week. Angels and Seerstones is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. You can support this podcast and others in our network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com.